0: Hi, welcome to Build Better Tech, where we hear from leaders at influential companies on technology as business strategy. I'm Colleen Reidelbach. Our guest today couldn't be better positioned to speak about this topic. Andy Laudato is the former CTO, now COO of The Vitamin Shop. His recent promotion to oversee all of operations will make immediate sense to you, given his commitment to technology as being in service to seamless customer experiences and the overall business. Andy brings an entire career in retail technology and leadership to the role, having started his career in the '90s at Bath and Body Works and Joanne Fabrics before stepping into the CIO role at Pier One in the year 2000. We start our conversation with that experience. When you started at Pier One, there was a really—you know—you did really influential work for them. So, what was the mandate, or um, kind of your? job description when he stepped into that role? Yeah, let me tell you a few do?
1: stories about when I first got yeah. to Pier 1. So the loud and clear message I got was that the company had a wonderful, strong culture, but IT wasn't part of it. And so IT kind of did their own thing. You know, they were too busy to participate in some of the social things. And so at Pier 1, back then, it was a really big deal of Halloween teams dressed up. They did skits. It was a costume contest. And generally, the IT department didn't participate. So one of the first things I did as the head of IT is I created a committee, a Halloween committee. And um, I started in August. So we didn't really, we did okay our first year. We uh, got like an honorable mention. Um, Once we went through it, though, we kind of did like the Macy's parade. We said, we're going to meet the day after Halloween to start planning. And so the next year, we had over 50 people dress up like Jack in the Box for people in the South Note Jack in the Box. Oh, we yeah. made these big paper mache heads and we had fishermen Jack. They had the whole
0: commercial campaign at and, the time. Uh,
1: yeah. it was really, and there's a lot of pictures on Facebook now as people dig through their archives. And um, we came in second place. And by the third year, we had one Halloween. We actually did The Simpsons and we built the entire Simpsons set. And so. Wow. Uh, Like, that's not a huge deal, but it was. It was culture, right? And uh, IT people are always smart, creative, and so you put their uh, creative juices on something like, we're going to win Halloween, and we did it. So They're problem solvers. They get things done. (laughs) Another thing that I heard, and this is a theme for me with new jobs, right? You go out and talk to everybody. You talk to your team, your business partners, your customers. You go to the stores. At Brookdale, we'd go to the communities and just really understand And ask people, you know, what can IT do better? What do you need? Uh, What are your challenges? What are your frustrations? And so one thing that I heard at Pier 1 in my early days was, hey, we're really good at the big things, big projects, but we never, IT never does the little things. And the little things are frustrating. Like maybe you have a report heading that's wrong, or maybe you just want one more calculation on your report, or there's a screen. If it just had one little entry field, it would make someone's life easier. So there were this long list of little things. Now, this was on this was by design. And, and I've heard this before, right? And the idea was, do these little things actually have ROI? Are they even worth spending the cycles? And the answer was, well, they are because, you know, knowledge workers are expensive and people are there. And you just, the little frustrations, like, why can't you just fix this, right? And even now, like if your computer's slow or doesn't boot up in, in enough time, it's just so frustrating. So, What we did early in my first year at Pier One is we created something called the SR Challenge, because all these little things were called service requests. And this is before I learned Agile and Kanban, but we had the same concept. We went in a room and we wrote them all the requests on um, index cards, stuck them on the wall. And the deal was it had to be less than two days of work, the rough estimate. And we put every project on pause for two weeks. We got a Mm. buy-in. And um, We just went after it and every we met every day and we met and everybody grabbed one said i'll work on this i even worked on one myself you know this kind of i was kind of out of coding by that time but i still we still had a mainframe there and um i don't remember the numbers the counts but it was some huge number you know over 50 things we got done Mm -hmm. That's 50 happy customers and from that point forward we built a philosophy that we would do the big we would do the little things while we were doing the little things Right, So uh, if you're in the program, then go ahead and make sure you check the list of little things. And I've always built that philosophy that you have to do the big and the little things. You've seen a lot probably where people will take a jar and put rocks in it and say, is it full? And then they put pebbles and then they put sand. And uh, I use that same philosophy for IT. So you, you do your big boulders around your strategy, but then you see where you can add some pebbles and sand along the way and have a nice balanced portfolio of doing big, small Big, medium, and small things for your customers
0: mm-hmm. has some va- mental value as well because different types of work can kind of fit into your day differently, you know. And if you're focused on one big gnarly strategic problem, that takes you know you certain need a certain amount of time and a certain amount of mental space for it. But you also kind of need to step away from that and yeah, solve or maybe a you're waiting. problem every now yeah. and then,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people left to their own devices would only do little things. Because you get, you know, it's easy, you get a quick mm-hmm. reaction, you make someone smile. Um, and so maybe executives only want to do big things with the hard ROI. That's what CFOs love. And uh, someone in the trenches only wants the little tweaks to their process. So it's got to be a balance. You got to do all the work. There's a lot of waiting in IT. I'm waiting for testing or for answers. And so if you make sure you have a b- backlog of work to fill in with Other that, meaningful sand, work. Absolutely. Is that what you call it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Other meaningful work is... Uh, Not what I call it, but I will now because it's a great way to say it.
0: I think of your contribution at at Pier 1 being mostly about launching e-commerce there for the first time.
1: Sure. Well, look, let's go a little earlier. Um, Probably uh, another thing that I was proud of is we really went from a paper process for how we dealt with our vendors all over the world Mm -hmm. to having an electronic process. And so when I started at Pier 1, you know, it was now 19 years ago, uh, we still had paper purchase orders that were sent to the vendors, and um, we built a custom system so that we could exchange purchase orders, invoices, receipts, and all of the documents required for importing product. And we built the system around our processes so that it worked for us. And then we, I had a plane and went around the world, India, Indonesia, China, Hong Kong, and uh, helped get these vendors, our key vendors, set up to use this new system. And so... You know, I don't know if they still have that system in place at Pier One, but they cer- sh- certainly have that process. And um, you reduce uh, mistakes, timing, you know, even though it's not fashion, it's still, you know, you have to go fast. And you got key dates like holidays, spring, you got to have the outdoor furniture. So, yeah, that's probably something that I did earlier in my year- years at Pier One that I was really proud of. Um, but, yeah, One.com, of course, right, we grew that to a very large business um, from zero, um, Pierone.com is was one of the first omni-channel websites with buy online, pick up in store, buy online, ship to your home, home delivery. So large items, we're selling little teeny things that were fragile, like ornaments, to entire bedroom sets, dining room tables, and everything in between. So PierOne.com, you know, and going from a successful store retailer to a true omni retailer, um, certainly a huge accomplishment. I'm um, analytics over my time, my long time at Pier One, 16 years. We went to we built dashboards for the stores and for the warehouses and really became a data driven company, I would say, in my tenure. And so of course I had business partners with the vision and the drive, but um, but ultimately, you know, I grew up at Pier One. And I would say what changed for me is I really learned along the way. And I don't know if there's a moment where I woke up but and said this is the case, but I learned along the way that my job as a CIO was only and 100% a people job. It's not a tech job, and it's not an accounting job. You know, you do legal, you do accounting. It's just a people job, right? I felt like I was a pretty darn good coder 30 years ago. It's not my job anymore, and I, I haven't been in code for a long time, and it certainly has changed. Um, so it's my job to make sure that I create and inspire the people that are doing the coding, that I create an environment where they can be successful, and that I stay out of their way. So yeah, that's been the evolution in my, my career has been from a hands-on keyboard to a person that really values and sees my role as being a people leader.
0: What are some of the unique aspects or talents required about being a people leader within technology as opposed to being in other disciplines like sales or creative or you know, operations or finance or whatever?
1: Yeah, I think that I am glad for me personally that I do have the tech background and I do keep up with tech. And so even though I don't code anymore, I keep up with it. You know, I, I hacked away at a Raspberry Pi. I learned about Agile and project management disciplines. And so I think that being able to at least have a, ask intelligent questions, whether it's the network or development or methodologies, I think that's key. Um, I don't feel like in IT people really care that much about the formal org, org structure you know, it's not about the hierarchy, so it's really about uh, how you can help me, how you can move roadblocks. So keeping it's it pretty, more,
0: it's more of a meritocracy than other areas of a. Yeah, company I don't want to say
1: thought. other areas aren't, but I would say it absolutely is that <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, uh, for me, that's what works: is uh, mm-hmm. you keep it casual, you keep it uh, informal, you don't worry about the org chart. You know, I don't ever say uh, if someone works for a manager who works for a director who works for a VP that works for me, it doesn't mean that. I'm not going to talk to that individual. And I've really uh, embraced the idea of open door. And I have a rule here. you know, Anyone that works for me wants to talk to me, then I will make it happen. right? So that's a simple Excellent. rule, but we're serious about it.
0: What's one of the differences between a developer who may be early in the career who should just really continue down the path of being a developer and move through that progression of you know, becoming a senior and becoming an architect and Taking some leadership in that area versus a developer who should pursue more of like a management or leadership track.
1: Yeah, I like this question, right? And uh, I used to say that, you know, going from being a developer to being a manager is like going from being a developer to being a plumber. It's just a completely (laughs) different job. It's a great job. You know, Mm -hmm. plumbers make a lot of money and so do managers, but it's just a completely different job. The first thing I'll say is it's got to be what you want to do. Right. And we got to make sure that people aren't saying, oh, my next career progression is manager because that's just the next stop. And so I've always everywhere I've worked, I've always made sure that there is a non-managerial career path for people where you can, you know, make good money, continue to see increases, get increased responsibility without having to make that jump over into management. Um, At the same time, it's the path I took, right? I was a manager early on, and I enjoyed that because I really fell in love with the people side, the business side. So it's what you love and what you do. I I wouldn't look at someone and say, oh, it's about your skill set. I really wouldn't because, Mm -hmm. look, these are smart people we're talking about. If they want to be a good manager, they're going to learn and study and put the effort in. If they want to be a great developer, they can do that too. So I think it's really about what appeals to you, but making sure it's for the right reason. You know, you don't, don't want to do what your boss did or you want to do what, you know, you're getting pressure to do from someone external. Just make sure that, look, you know, there are a lot of uh, six-figure-plus jobs as uh, developers. You know, there's good, good work there. So, Now, I think that the hardest job in all of IT is that first-line manager job. These are people that are expected to be business people, budget, know the details, A lot of people are coaching people for the first time. These are people that maybe did the work and now they're having to get someone else to do the work. And I always use the analogy of water skiing. And so the first time you go water skiing, you get up and you're behind the boat and it's kind of, you know, maybe a little nervous, but you're shaky. But then when you get a little bit more brave, you start to venture outside, right? And there's the wake and the wake is the hard part. It's like turbulent waters, (laughs) And the goal is you get out, you get through the wake, and then now you're back in smooth. And now you're being cool and you're doing all these things. And so I think of that first line manager job in IT is being in the wake.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I know people who do that job their whole career, but I don't recommend it. I recommend that you either, hey, I don't like it here. So let me keep going. Let me get to director, senior director, VP.
0: Just make that a stop on the way.
1: Yeah. Or just go back where there's smooth water and go, you know, maybe it's not for me, but. I just think that's the hardest job. It's sometimes the most important um, role on teams because that's the the go-to person. Mm-hmm. But I really feel like people should consider that a job that you go through. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a couple years there, and then you you try to go one way or the other. So that's kind of my opinion. It's pretty strong opinion on the topic, but that's how I think of that.
0: It's a good insight. It's a really good insight.
1: Now, when we get to the Agile world, it becomes even harder because now these teams are self-organizing. And so there's a lot of what's the role for me as the manager. And so... That becomes interesting too, because in a true agile team, you really don't want a manager directing the work. You know, the teams are, are really pulling the work from the backlog and it's with the product, product owner. So managers could go on to become more focused on the HR people management side, which is really critical. That if you're really into about developing people, now you focus on people's career trajectory, their reviews, you know, all those mm-hmm. things and you become more of a coach. You could go the Scrum Master route, which are key, key people in Agile. Uh, you can go back to being the developer. So there are a lot of paths for managers, and you know that also comes down to what do you want to do, right? People that are running a IT team that were developers or were BAs could do any of those roles I mentioned. So it really comes back down mm-hmm. to what do they want to do and where, where are they going to be happy.
0: What would you say to somebody who works with Developers or works with development teams in, in some capacity, but is not a developer themselves, like a product person or somebody in marketing that has to work closely with the team. What's some advice or um, lessons learned that you would share on that for somebody in that role? Yeah,
1: I've given this advice a lot. Uh, my first point would be to put a little bit of effort in to learn about the tech, just to le- a little bit, so that you don't know, always asking water. You're not confused, you know, it so just Again, it's not that hard. I think sometimes IT sounds harder than it is. And so just put it's a little a lot bit
0: lot of, of uh jargon and yeah. nomenclature. Lingo jargon
1: yeah. and uh Yeah, you get into the really uh gnarly algorithm. Of course that's difficult, but just know enough that you you know, you can hang in the conversation. I try not to let words go by me without stopping someone and asking. Especially, you know, the last two times I've been new to a company, so You know, look, IT is not the only people with jargon, you know, merchants have it and finance has it. So now you also don't want to be the person in the room. Wait, what is that? What is that? It's a balance, right? And so, but taking notes when someone says something that goes by and you don't know what they mean, don't let that go past the day. Write it down. And then, you know, if you have a confidant on the team, a confidant, you can ask or look it up, but. You know, it's Go- really good. Google has made life easy. You know, it used <laughs> to be hard to get packs. Now they're all at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. So I would say there's no reason you should sit through a meeting in that role and not know every word or every acronym and what the heck people meant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good advice in, you know, when you're working in any unfamiliar <laughs> terrain, the balance between putting your hand up every five seconds and, you know, solving some of your problems yourself. <laughs>
1: You know i used, i've I've worked with some I worked with a gentleman once where ninety percent of what he said I didn't understand, and the people all around always told me how darn smart he was and I felt inferior like this guy's so darn smart, I don't know what the heck he's saying and I realized though pretty quickly that no, it's not that he's smarter than me. in fact, it's his job to communicate to his audience at a level they understand, right and he's mm-hmm. just rattling off phrases and big words so that he can try to appear smart and so now I realize someone that's intelligent has the skill set to be able to communicate at the level of the audience. Mm-hmm. So there's understanding. And so I never, again, if someone's talking above your head, you know, I would say you look at that person and ask them to explain themselves or you say, well, you're just trying to show off. It's not, doesn't mean you're smarter.
0: So uh, you've already thrown out a zillion things that are about kind of team dynamics and creating those Tell me about one or two of the best teams that you've ever been a part of and what made those experiences so good.
1: Yeah, I like that question. I don't think I'm going to name names, but let me talk about attributes of a great team. And I love the question because I'm all about teams. We work in teams here. A couple things. A team, a really successful team that delivers has to have trust. And I'm a big fan of the book Speed of Trust by Stephen M. Covey. And the big concept of that is when people have trust, they move quickly. And they move quickly because they're not second-guessing. They're not assuming malintent. They're not having to document everything and say, oh, I got to have a gotcha game. Or trust drives speed. Speed drives more work. More work drives more success. Success drives a happy team, right? So I think trust is a huge part of it. Also, a really um, clear goal. So uh, what are they saying? Good to great, you know, BHAG, a big whatever it's called, you know, (laughs) <laughs> big giant, uh, yeah, I don't know the acronym, I forget what it means. But it's like about having a big, audacious goal. I think, Yeah, big, hairy, audacious goal, that's it. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Teams that have really hard things to accomplish, and they trust each other, and uh, they can go. Now, also, um, reasonable expectations. So you give a team a deadline that's impossible. How are they going to be motivated? They know they're going to fail before they start. You got to get away with annoyances. So the teams that, back when I was, you know, hands-on keys, we used to really take advantage of war rooms. You know, one time we went and found a room in a back closet and locked ourselves in there for uh, a month and knocked out some amazing stuff. So if you can co-locate your team, you can get rid of distractions and just go, go, go. So that's what I would say. But a a team that has a big goal, no obstacles and trust each other, they're going to move mountains.
0: You might not have a a specific answer to this one, but could you tell a story about a team that you either were a part of or or just were somewhere within an org that you worked in that was having some trouble and then was able to kind of, due to roadblocks being removed or some kind of, they had some kind of breakthrough like that where they went from um, challenged to successful.
1: Yeah, you know, I've seen teams um, that have one bad apple. And when that bad apple removed, you know, sometimes people feel like, Maybe there's someone negative, so they don't want to be positive. Or there's someone, you know, just got the thumb on or just taking all the good work for uh, him or herself. And so making sure there are everyone's contributing on a team is key, that everyone wants to be there, that everybody believes in the goal and is aligned to the goal. So, yeah, I think uh, I've actually seen to my shock, I've seen adding a person to a team, kind of wrecking a team. So I've seen a team actually become less productive. and you know I've worked with a lot of agile coaches and leaders and thought leaders. and uh, what they tell you is any change to a team from the people on the team reset you back. So when you think about storming, norming, forming, storming, norming, performing, that you, oh hey, let's uh, let's add more people to this team so they can go faster. Yeah, go hire two hotshots. and next thing you know, the team's <laughs> putting out less points than the prior sprints. Mm-hmm. What the heck, right? And it's because you reset that. Right. You know, when I came to the Vitam shop as an executive, we're all new executives. So we're still in that forming, storming. And so now, you know, we've been here together a year and things are really happening and we're starting to trust each other. But
0: Right. That trust is was the first thing that you said about a great team. So when you drop somebody new in, at least to some extent, you have to rebuild that a yeah, little bit. Right. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you on retail in general, because you've watched this whole transformation, basically, almost literally from nothing to whatever e-commerce is today, however you define it. What's What are some of the unique things about um, having worked in that indus- in this industry for so long? Where are we today? And what have been some of the things about it that have surprised you? Have been interesting challenges, exciting opportunities?
1: Well, I study retail a lot. And retail didn't change from about 2000 BC to 1985. You know, you think about way back to the, uh, there's like a market marketplace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what it was, was people, you know, would would build wares or products or food. And then other people would have theirs. And then you exchange them for some kind of currency. And so, you know, this is after the barter system, right? And the barter system wasn't ineff- inefficient because everything didn't equal. So money got put in the middle. And so, I mean, you look at something like the Mall of America, and you look at a picture of uh, something on the Silk Road, and it's pretty much the same thing. It's uh, vendors setting up their, their booths. Then we had the giant invention called the internet. And that brought with it social, and that brought mobile. And it's just you know, totally changed our whole world, everything around the internet and what that brought from, you know, standing in a store with your phone and looking up prices or going to buy a car and knowing more about the pricing than the guy selling it to you, the employee's understandings. And so the consumer is just so much more educated, so much more educated. And that's a good thing, right? I'm a consumer too. I want to know everything before I buy something. And so as retailers, we need to make sure that we're prepared and that our store associates or our website, you know, whatever our selling channel has the information that that consumer is looking for. And we can talk about Amazon or the idea of e-com, but it really is the internet that's enabled that, right? And so, mm-hmm. wow, it's a lot. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been a big change in, in my career for sure.
0: You talk about one of your greatest aspirations or the things that's most rewarding to you is when your customer brags about the technology that you've put in their hands. So... Who is, when you think about your customer, who is that and what makes them brag?
1: Yeah, you know, before we had e commerce and retail, our customer would be the people that interacted with the customer. So the employees, the store employees, the warehouse employees, the corporate office employees. Now it's direct, the actual consumer buying the goods. So it's all of the above. It's every person in the company that uses a computer, which is every person. You know, I think I used to count there were like three room people who didn't use a computer, but now they do, right? They're tracking. So everybody uses a computer as a customer. I mean, it's every customer of your brand, every single one. So that's who the customer is. Um, Bragging about the systems are you come to work here new and go, wow, it's really easy to do that. Or I got data at my fingertips or this dashboard. Or if people leave and then they go somewhere else and go, I wish I had back what I had at at the vitamin shop, you know? And so that's bragging about it. It's... uh, Instead of technology being a hindrance, we're rolling out Microsoft Teams right now, and that's an example that people love it. You know, and they're excited about it. It's it's helping our culture because I've done survey after survey. I love doing surveys and talking to my customers and companies everywhere. I ever worked? We do engagement surveys, and what comes up all the time? Communications. I look at the richest people in the world, and it's like, oh, it's the guys that do mobile phones or you know, and things like that. So it's it's about communications. The more we can uh, enable communication. The happier people are going to be, you know, you're listening. If someone asks for something and I say, Oh, we can't get to that for a year, they're happier than if I ignored them or if I told them next month and not did it, right? You're just communicating and being honest about where you are. And if if you tell someone the truth, you can't do it for a year, then they'll make other they'll build a spreadsheet or they'll, you know, they'll find some other workaround. So honest at least frequent they have, communication.
0: At least they have some kind of expectation about. What's to come? Where does this fall on the list of priorities and what do I need to do in the meantime?
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. So
0: so what are one or two um, products, technologies that you've implemented that are pretty mature within the vitamin shop ecosystem that you're really proud of and are points of pride? And then I'd also love to hear one or two things that are new that you're experimenting with that are somewhat emergent that you're really excited about as well.
1: Yeah. You know, I talked about the Omni channel capabilities at Pure One, but we're just as a full featured Omni here at, at the Vitamin Shop. We have a really nice order management system with a lot of capabilities. So buy online, pick up in store. We have two warehouses. And so if one's out of stock, we'll automatically route the order to the other warehouse and ship it to the customer. Um, we can ship to the home. So if you're in the store and that store doesn't have it, you know, or it's in a deep stock, we can ship it to your your home. So Really nice capabilities. Um, As far as emerging, we're really excited about a lot of things. Um, Probably the number one being in the new year, we're going to be rolling out a mobile point of sale. So, all of our stores already have two iPads, and we're going to be able to transact on those iPads and a real simple, quick, efficient checkout. So, you walk in, scan, scan, uh, mobile pay. So, you know, Apple, Android pay, and uh, be on your way. So, so someone, we sell some grab and go, maybe a drink or a bar, and come in quick scan and be on your way. uh, I mean, sometimes people come to the vitamin shop many times and want to have a nice talk with our health enthusiasts about their health journey. And sometimes it's just, I need to grab this on my lunch break. So we're excited about that. We're excited about other ways to bring digital. We did something with a startup where we put a digital product display in the store where you scan the item and then it brings full rich content. So that's kind of fun. But everything like this we do around innovation is just really getting back to you know, does this help? How does this help our customer and our our employees?
0: Has mobile pay been like the massive adoption game changer uh, that you know maybe some people thought that it was? H- have people really grabbed onto that? As yeah, much it's as coming. Um,
1: we actually have ten stores open now inside of LA Fitness stores, little pop up vitamin shops, and all those customers want mobile pay because who really? takes their wallet to the gym? Uh, so you take your phone to the gym and yeah. uh, you just tap and go. So. Yeah, that's a setting. Um, Next summer, we're going to go to a lot of events like Top Mudders and things like that, Spartan races and uh, set up a little booth and the ability to just be able to buy product and pay with uh, your mobile phone. So uh, we're just getting we're just rolling it out in our mainstream store. So uh, the jury's out on that, but. Yeah, I think that in the year 2020 that you have to take a credit card and stick it in the slot. It takes eight seconds. I'm always counting, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, take your card out. It doesn't feel that modern to me. It doesn't feel like mm-hmm. the future. So. so do
0: you use mobile pay when you can Oh, yeah, of course All I right, do. Okay. Yeah, well,
1: tell. maybe I'm
0: betraying myself as a Luddite here.
1: <laughs> well, look, you still write checks, Colleen?
0: <laughs> when
1: needed, okay, maybe. Fair <laughs>
0: What's your, like, wildest aspiration or vision or image of what retail looks like in the year 2050?
1: Yeah, a couple things, right? I think that the uh, Minority Report, remember that movie? I think the idea that when you walk up to a digital display, that the content displayed will be relevant to you only. Mm-hmm. So identify you through facial recognition or your phone in your pocket and then show a promo for you or something about your loyalty. So have it be completely personalized. That's the big word in retail, right? Personalized. And so everything I just said is actually possible now. I don't really see a lot of it, but you also need to have that content. So you really can't have manual creation of content for every person. I think that you know maybe the Amazon Go model where you walk in, grab your product, and leave So, you know, that'd be way too cost prohibitive right now to put in a vitamin shop, but some idea, I mean, we talked about payment, you know, mobile pay, the best pay is that you walk in, grab it and go, and it knows who you are. It knows what you took and it's just going to get billed to your account. So I think just imagine like apparel shopping, you go in, you try on, you know, an outfit and you leave. And I think, uh, years ago there was an IBM commercial about that, that, you know, the guy walked out. So. If you think about it, a customer will spend as much time, maybe you spend a half hour to an hour in a store looking through items. But when you're ready to go, you're ready to go, right? You're no longer browsing, now you're leaving. And any friction around having to wait in a line, having to fumble through, you know, your wallet or your purse, that's just really more friction in it. You know, hey, we, we need people to come into the store. So you don't want to come if it's going to be negative. Um, I live in New York City now and I walked into like a Whole Foods and the line was like wrapped around the store. But those lines move quickly. Like, you know, the first time I didn't even wait in it, then I had to. But it it doesn't, you know, so they figured out line management. It's really, like, fun to watch for me. Mm -hmm. You know, they take away your cart. They keep you moving. They've got it, like, divvied up. There's little. And so, but even better, if I could go to Whole Foods, put my stuff in my reusable bag and leave. Even better, right? And so, there's a store in New York City called Fairway where you can scan on your own phone as you shop. Then there's a special station that you just go scan and they can look in your bag to make sure you didn't cheat, but there you go. Now they don't have to buy hardware, less cashier. So I think on that side is really important. I think on the supply chain side, more automation, robotics is really starting to come into its own. And so I wouldn't say a fully automated lights out warehouse, but more and more, we have a device now that folds the insert into the box and then closes the lid, you know, creates the tape and pumps the label on it. And so, Robotics have been around a long time. It's really starting to happen now. Then just really a lot more ways from home, I would say, to share product knowledge and let people kind of research that. So that would be the last thing I'd add. 2050 is a long time. I think I'm talking mm-hmm. more like 2025, 20, <laughs> you know, 2050.
0: I do think we can get to Amazon Go style shopping a little bit sooner than 2050.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the first time I heard about RFID, but I think it might have been in the late... 1990s mm-hmm. and uh, i was going to revolutionize <laughs> retail there were whole conferences just dedicated yeah. to rfid and universities and programs and rfid is out there for the right you know if i'm selling 800 dollar purse i'd definitely put a tag on it but when we're talking about a 15 dollar bottle of vitamins we're not gonna mm-hmm. pay for those tags not even the tag is the cost but all the equipment but some kind of way something like whether it's rfid or some other way and maybe the next evolution is called computer vision The idea that cameras can say, I know what what you just put in your bag. And so that may surpass or render RFID obsolete. Mm -hmm.
0: Have you ever lived through a situation where something wasn't working? A really obvious technological choice just wasn't grabbing on like you thought it would or hoped that it would. Was it just a matter of more consumer education, just waiting for people's comfort level to catch up with the technology or was it, no, this is actually just not working?
1: You know, I guess I've heard of ideas where maybe technology is before its time. I've talked to several people that used to work at Blockbuster. And apparently in the 80s, they literally had um some kind of set-top box where it would use dial-up and could send a movie down to your TV, but it like would probably take all night while you were sleeping. And they got poo-pooed and you know, now look, they're gone and mm-hmm. streaming is all the rage, right? So it seems mm-hmm. like they maybe had it before their time. Um, but I don't blame consumers. I mean, I go to in Manhattan, there's all these flagships of all these retailers, and they've all got all these different video displays and screens and sizing. And so many times I see them and they're not working. There's a error message up on it, or you don't know what you know. So these things work nicely a lot of times in labs or when you know you're in your corporate office and you put them out in the field and you put real customers on them. So I would never blame the consumer as much as say it's gotta be foolproof and simple and hardened is the key there. But yeah, we've built, of course, we've all built things that you think people are going to love and and they don't come to it. So you always have to be careful that you're not doing innovation for innovation's sake or tech for tech's sake, right? You got to have a true business need. You know, I've had, uh, I always call it uh, technology looking for a business problem. It's backwards, you know, whatever is the hot thing, like, oh, we got to have cloud. I mean, when people say to me, what's your cloud strategy, I don't have a cloud strategy. I have a vitamin shop strategy that involves using the cloud. I know it's maybe um, I'm splitting hairs, but that's important to me, that wording. What's our mobile strategy? I don't have a mobile strategy. We have a vitamin shop strategy about customers yeah. that involves having mobile apps.
0: Flesh out that distinction a little bit. What what changes when you flip it around like that?
1: Well, if you start with the tech, now you're you're trying to shove it into, you're looking for a problem to solve. There are enough real problems to solve that you don't want to look for one, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't say, oh, it's really important that we use Java development or we use the Spring platform or we use... Any of these things are coming at it the wrong way. So if you say, wow, really it's expensive running a data center and we have to upgrade and patch our servers all the time and we need an on-demand capacity for our big days, how are we going to solve that? You don't want to buy 20 computers for one day of the year. So if your busiest day is Black Friday, how do you solve it? You know, elastic model. So you go to the cloud and you pay for what you use. So that's not a cloud strategy. That's a, how do I best optimize my business for variability in my demand?
0: What's your job as described in the loftiest possible terms? And then what's your job as described in the most (laughs) day-to-day kind of mundane? Yeah, look, my job is to sell vitamins and to help
1: people on their health journey, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. however they define their own personal health journey. So that's why we're all here. Um, You know, the world's a better place because of the vitamin shop, you know. And so it's a place that uh, has expertise and quality products. And um, that's why I'm here. I'm an executive as part of the team. You know, I oversee the, the privilege to oversee the supply chain and the tech teams. But everything we do in these areas are about serving these customers. As long as we serve them well and have the right products at the right place, the right price, our customers are going to keep coming back and buying more and be loyal to us, and then we'll get to keep doing it. So yeah, that's what my job is. Um, On the day-to-day, I think the most exciting part about a job like mine is I will go from meeting to meeting and talk about context switching. So I'll go to a meeting with the board of directors where we're talking about three-year plans Come out of that and go to a meeting where you're designing a network and talking about IPs and address space to, you know, maybe talk about coaching someone on their career, giving career advice to, you know, having to have tough conversations with poor performers to congratulating people to telling someone their projects. I mean, on and on and on. So I love the kind of the context switching all day long. Um, And then there's uh, the occasional knock on wood, right? There's occasional crisis where something's down or not working. Then you got to regroup, you know, you got to say, okay, well, I always say if your kitchen's on fire, you can't build a back porch. So I've always emphasized that uh, keep the lights on is the most important thing we do in IT, the most important. And now that I'm involved with the supply chain, it's the same thing, right? Every order we receive has to go out before we go home, every one. And it has to be accurate and has to be packaged really in a nice, organized, clean way that we're proud of because it's representing our brand. So, so, yeah, the day to day, yeah, that's fun. That's fun. That's fun for me.
0: What problem are you working on like this week? That's just kind of where you are, the one that's, you know, going to keep you up,
1: you know, well, keep look, you in the office. What like is it, today. December 19th? So, yeah. what are we working on? <laughs> working on building a strategic mm-hmm. plan for 2020. And so, like, there are a long list of projects and initiatives that people want to do, a long list. And so, making sure that as a team that we really put a lot of thought energy and effort to prioritizing is what we're working on right now is creating that list that rank list of initiatives for the business and so this is about investment and you got to think about it that way you know i don't even like the word project i really like initiative because we're making investments in our our future but yeah you know i think all businesses go through cycles kind of like seasons of the year And so this is the planning cycle, right? We're in the planning cycle. And then you get into the execution cycle. And we're going to go. We're going to go. Let's get it done, you know, and start rolling. But, But yeah, that's what I would say this week's been all about is planning.
0: So on that note, what has 2019 been about for the vitamin shop overall? And what's 2020 about for the vitamin shop overall?
1: Yeah, um... The vitamin shop had made some really good investments in technology, the order management, the website, you know, all these things. But they really were not um, crisp. The integration between them. So early in the year, we focused on we called fix the foundation and really making things crisp, accurate, you know, timely, fast. I am um, obsessed with speed. Yeah, I, mean, I was inspired by a book I read that said, it's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow. And I'm also a huge football fan, and I know the same thing in football, right? It's speed. Mm-hmm. You know, Speed wins championships. Not that I'm personally it's fast, but I really care a lot about, <laughs> and I also am impatient. So I talked about waiting in line, or if I turn my computer on, I start counting, and I expect it to be booted up in you know, under 10 seconds, and I want my systems like that. So Early on when I got to the vitamin shop last January, I, I spoke with our district managers or district sales managers, and one of the things they complained about was our buy online pickup and store took 30 to 45 minutes before the order got to the store. And so, you know, I use the Starbucks on a daily basis. I order my coffee, and I run in and grab my coffee, and, you know, that thing, it's there in minutes. So same thing goes on in the vitamin shop. The customer, We would tell the customer, don't come till we tell you it's ready. But the customer show up, you know, she's out running her errands, she pops in and, and the order's not there. So we put a task force together and I told them I wanted it to be in under a minute. And they looked at me like I just came from the moon, you know, and they were uh, not happy, but we did it. You know, you, you had a good team and they were were smart people and they went and mapped out every part of the process and where the times were. Made the changes, and uh, we put it in iteratively and in an agile way. So we went from a half hour to 15 minutes to 10 minutes, and now our orders get to the store in about 30 seconds. Our BOPUS business has been a really bright spot, and it's a great business, right? Because you're using our website, figure out what you want, you get into the store. Now we're bringing people into the store where we can upsell them. They can learn about their product, and uh, it's less expensive to ship a product to a store than to a home because you're doing it in bulk. And so, yeah, that's one of my favorite things we did, uh, speeding up the buy online, pickup up and store. We also sped up our shipping out of our warehouses. And actually, a lot of it was the same systems and the same processes. So we got kind of a two for one bargain. And we now get our orders to our warehouse within minutes after they're placed. And 99% of our orders go out the day that, you know, we've cutoff wow. times, but our orders are leaving our warehouse the day we get them.
0: That must make your CEO extremely happy that you're here. <laughs> yeah, well, look. And, <laughs> That's pretty cool.
1: Um, well, Amazon has set the bar for fast, fast, fast. Can we compete? Sure, we can compete. And so bopus is faster than Amazon. I, I can place my order on my phone, walk into the vitamin shop and pick up my item right there. It could be you know, a whole transaction can go down in less than five minutes, way faster than Amazon. And my shipping is, you know, leaving the warehouse that day and the customers pick their delivery speed. Want to pay for next day? Boom! You pay for it, you got mm-hmm. it. So, so yeah, speed has uh, really helped us and helped our our uh, improve our customer service.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about um, what was going on? That was what were the points of delay that you were able to solve for that really made a difference?
1: Yeah. Well, there was like a fraud check, and it was uh, done in batch. So every five minutes there was a queue that went through and checked for fraud. There was a credit card auth check. So what we did was we moved these things to real time. So we moved the fraud check up to our website. So when you're placing the order, it's checking the fraud. We did all the credit card off in real time. Um, we had these queues that in our order management can only run at certain speeds. So we used tuning and some horsepower, and we tuned them so that you, know, you can run them every five seconds. Our website was only dropping the orders down every five minutes, so we cranked that all the way up. And so it was just really, you looked at where your bottlenecks were, and if you can make it a batch real time, that's what we did. If we can make a batch more frequent, that's what we did. So it's just process by process. Um, I won't mention exactly what it was, but we found two things in our process that we didn't need to do. So they were there for whatever reason, or they used to make sense, or it was like a Mm -hmm. safety net, but those just came out. That's the fact, you know, so you take about five minutes off the top for something like that.
0: That's great.
1: So yeah, it was fun. And um, the people that worked on it, they're so proud. I mean, that's an example of uh, how you can bring a team together is you give them a big, challenge and then you succeed and then
0: you celebrate it big mm -hmm, time. Absolutely. That's awesome. I won't keep you for much longer, but I'd love to hear what advice you have for anybody who may be early in their career, either in technology or somebody who understands and and appreciates technology, but has more of that business um, strategic mindset as well. Yeah.
1: Thanks for this question. I like this question. Um, I think that I always advise people to really learn the business they're in. And you got to get out there. So if it's going to the store, working in the store, um, if you're sitting in a corporate office and you're solving some tech problem and something's taking 10 seconds, it doesn't sound too bad, 10 seconds. But if you're standing in a store and there's a customer across from you standing there and there's a line, that's an eternity, right? So feeling that pain, um, if you're designing a UI, it's one thing to be designing it, but actually go try to use it, You know, go be a customer, use the website. You know, if you're in the supply chain, then start buying things from your own building and see how it comes and the shipment and is it damaged and is it neat? Are you proud of it? And so really learning your business. I would also say, you know, work for a company where you enjoy the product that you're selling or the service that you're selling. If you have a real passion for healthcare, then then look for a job in healthcare. And you know, like me, like I love that the vitamin shop is in the the health and wellness business. You know, I am on my own health journey as we all are. And so it feels good. And so I think that's important to work for a place you're proud of and learn the business inside and out. I'll say this for people that work specifically in retail. If you work in stores, and I watched a guy that worked for me, uh, his name is Lou Sturzenbach. Lou would go work in the store every month. And what happened is he became an authority. So we'd be in a meeting and someone would say, the stores do this or the stores do that. And he could say, well, that's not true or not really. Or when the truck comes, it's a hassle. He became the smartest guy in the room when it came to where the business was happening so he became the authority and uh i really got inspired by his actions and you know i get out in stores as much as i can not as much as i should but as much as i can at the vitamin shop and i love it if people seem like they got a touch or you know that's my punishment i send them to the stores and they come back more aligned but yeah it's get involved in the business you love and then get out into the field People will always, they'll welcome you. You know, you're not in their way. They'll welcome you because you're there to learn and listen. And you're not there to judge them. Sometimes you go to a store as an executive and they think you're there. But I'm not, I don't run store operations, right? I'm not there to see if they swept the floor or the back rooms organized. There are people that do that. Believe me, they do it well. But that's not my job. I'm there to help them. They're my customer.
0: Andy, what would you say that vitamin the vitamin shop does better than anybody else in the world? And as the technology strategist... Um, leading in the org. What role do you get to play in that?
1: Yeah, you know, we hang our hat on three things. Innovation, expertise, and quality. All of our products now have a quality seal, and we really do a rigorous job of testing and ensuring that these products are safe, that the labels are 100% accurate. And so, you know, you just got to really be careful about what products you're using, right? You're, you're, take, you're ingesting pills, tablets, powders, and so I certainly wouldn't just buy anything for myself or for my children online and say, hey, you know, I saved a dollar on vitamin C that I bought from, I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> not from the vitamin shop. I certainly would not do that. And as I've um, worked in this industry now, I'm learning more and more how important it is to have that quality. Um, expertise, it's complicated. And it seems like every day you wake up and it's coffee's good for you, coffee's bad for you, eggs are great, eggs are not good. And so at the vitamin shop, we call our store employees health enthusiasts. Because we hire health enthusiasts, and we invest a lot of time, energy, and money in educating them and keeping them up to date. And so there are true experts at the vitamin shop. We also have nutritionists that are free for our customers to call and um, as part of our loyalty program. And so we have expertise about products and really can help people and give advice on their health journey. Then innovation. It's it's such a rapidly growing industry. So always having the latest products. um, Those are what we hang our hat on. So how do we help that in technology? You know, the um, expertise is about tools, learning management systems, and ways that we can um, educate. It's about content. It's about what I talked about, that digital product guide. All kinds of ways to bring the wealth of knowledge about products into the consumer's hands. On the innovation side, it's about making sure that we build mechanisms, processes, and tools so that the people bringing new product have an ability to do that and data and analytics to make sure it's right. And then on the quality, it's the same thing. It's about really making sure that um, we track. We actually, all of our private brand products, we have uh, full inspections before that we do ourselves before they they go on our shelves. So thank you.
0: Andy, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me today. It's always so fun to talk with you. And um, it's really great to get your expertise in this industry and just in general about how to be a great leader in technology. So thank you, thanks Colleen. so much. All right, bye-bye. Thanks again to Andy and check out your local vitamin shop to see his work firsthand. Thanks to you as well for listening today. If you have any questions, feedback, or guest suggestions, please feel free to reach out at buildbettertechpodcast at gmail.com or connect with me directly on LinkedIn. See you next
1: time.